Good afternoon, friends, and welcome to another grand and glorious afternoon in the best little city in America, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where on the Patrick Lally Show for about an hour, twins shortened hour, we're going to engage in some energetic and entertaining conversation on local, state, national news and politics, and not much else because we got an hour. And uh, so we're going to hang out with you here until about five o'clock and uh, we're going to have a nice time. Uber producer Dan Peters is in studio with us today. And thanks for hanging out with us on Information 1000 in this Twins postgame walked off world that we live in. It's not it's not pretty, Dan. I, I don't appreciate the walking often. Last year. They had a, the 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 script was flipped. A lot of these one run games, the Twins up ended up winning. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's just it's demoralizing. They've lost a lot of them this way, and that's fine. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's, we're gonna we're gonna hope for the best. We're gonna make a run here yet, right? No, we're, I mean we've kind of sold off everybody, but we still have a good core, and uh, you know I still have high hopes for our Minnesota Twins going forward. I hope. That uh, Paul Molitor doesn't get fired. That's I don't think they should fire Molly. No, that's there's still I, I think there's a lot of things beyond his control. I think they were very patient with Ron Garden hire through a lot. Yep. So I don't think they they'll dump Paul Molitor no, no. very quickly. I do. You know who's better, right? Um, we've got a great show for you today in this uh, twin shortened episode, and uh, we're going to have Libby Screen in from the ACLU just after the news and weather at the top of the hour, and uh, we'll chat about issues of civil rights. Libby's always great. We just have a great conversation. And, uh, you know, we've got a few things to talk about, but mostly we'll just riff. We'll riff on civil rights, man. What's better than that? Not much. Uh, And then, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. We'll have a good time. Know your rights. Know your rights. You're going to hear that in just a second. We're going to take a very short break and come back with an announcement here. And uh, so hang with us. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. Announcements with Guitar! Know your rights! 3.57 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. And the Sioux Empire Fair continues out at the WH Lion Fairgrounds now through August 11th. Right? I think it's a Saturday. I think that's Saturday. Admission is 10 bucks for 13 and up, 5 bucks for 6 to 12, free for 5 and under. They're open out there till midnight. And uh, let's see, what's going on tonight? Uh, in the grandstand, 8 p.m., Michael Ray with Blackhawk. And, of course, uh, the grandstand's free with admission. So there you go. You can go out and catch that show. Uh, what else? Go tomorrow, Michael. Oh, that's tonight. Tomorrow is Gabriel Fluffy Iglesias in the grandstand, and on Saturday is the PRCA Rodeo. Uh, that's a that's a big deal there. The PRCA Rodeo. Lots of rodeo. Lots of rodeo. So that's going to be cool. Uh, just a note, programming note. Uh, no Patrick Lally show tomorrow or Monday. We'll be back on Tuesday. So. If you tune in and you get uh, Dave Ramsey, don't worry. That's good advice, too. Dave's all right. Come up after the news and weather. We're going to talk with Libby Screen of the ACLU of the Dakotas. 
stay with us. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 406 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I am very happy to welcome back to the KSOO studios, Libby Screen. She is a policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota, North Dakota, but Dakotas. We say the Dakotas. I, I always have to go through this, but South Dakota. Yeah, I'm just South Dakota. Oh, okay. But Thankfully. You, but you guys kind of have a larger rubric. North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming yeah, is what our go. office covers. It's going to be tough out there in Wyoming. Yeah, it is. I will say the voicemails we get from people in Wyoming tend to be the meanest. So, Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. People in Wyoming are mad about everything. Like, I hope no one from Wyoming is listening to this. No, it's online, but don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, so uh, they're just mad about... Everything. Po- yeah. They don't want you there. Is that what we're led to believe? Um, I think they either don't want us there or they want us there more than they think we are. I don't really know. <laughs> There's a lot of yelling. <laughs> I suppose your voicemail every morning is... Interesting. It's like you gather around everybody. We're going to listen to the voicemail. Yeah, we get some good ones. Is there still a uh, sort of just a general animosity toward the ACLU? There was a time where the ACLU was a was a kind of a metaphor for everything that a lot of conservatives believed was wrong with this country, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's still some animosity, but I think it seems to be more split now. Um, I think now more than ever when I encounter people in my everyday life and I tell them where I work, um, I get a decent amount of people who are excited about it and are happy to hear that. Uh, We haven't gotten any hate mail in a while. Um, It seems like when we're in the news for religious liberty issues, we get a lot of hate Mm -hmm. mail. Sometimes we get nasty Christmas cards, which is kind of an oxymoron. But um, I think things are probably better for us than they have been in the recent past. And because the issues have – society has changed. The issues have changed. Um, We are talking a lot more these days about uh, civil rights from a – uh, a surveillance standpoint, mm-hmm. police power, um, and some digital invasion of privacy that people are maybe a little more sensitive and aware of, of civil rights issues than they were 20 years ago. Absolutely. I think it's that. And I think the breadth of issues that we work on is maybe more well known now. Um, and because we work on so many issues, I think you're hard pressed to find someone who doesn't agree with us on at least one thing, uh, whether or not they want to admit that. And isn't that the way it's supposed to be? I mean, you're not supposed to say, well, this group represents me whole lock, stock and barrel. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think there, one of our free speech experts had, had said that if you agree with us 80 percent of the time, you're our friend. If you agree with us 50 percent of the time, you should come work for us. So we <laughs> like the disagreement. We like the debate. Um, I think it's fun. Um, and uh, we've talked about this before, but you have uh, the ACLU has really expanded its presence in the state of South Dakota. Absolutely, we years. have. We actually um, were able to hire and bring on board our new staff attorney just last week, which is very exciting. Really? Yeah. So now so, we have a legal director and a staff attorney. Holy cow! And so you're up to what? Uh, that brings it to seven employees in our office. Entering office. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's um, you know when I first started, there were three of us. 
And so since 2014, we've really been able to expand and take on more issues and really do more work here. Well, and it wasn't that long ago, there were no full-time employees of the ACLU. When did it, when did the office first sort of relaunch here? So I think um, it was before my time. I think the sort of relaunch happened in 2008 Mm -hmm. and then sort of a reinvestment in our work and the beginnings of what we know as our modern current ACLU of South Dakota started in 2014. And what are the issues that uh, are bringing people, uh, because I think you've told me before Mm -hmm. that the, the membership has been expanding. Absolutely. Um, So we, uh, it was actually interesting. I was updating our Know Your Voting Rights brochure. Um, Our last version was from 2016, and we had listed nationwide our current activist members and supporters at about 500,000. And I checked those numbers before I redid the brochure, and right now we're at about 2 million activist members and supporters. Holy cow. So nationwide, we've had a big presence. A lot of that has been a result of various lawsuits that have been filed after the 2016 election and sort of, I think, the re-energized civil engagement that we're seeing from people. Um, You know, our issues are still core issues that we've worked on for a while here in South Dakota. It's criminal justice, LGBT rights, and reproductive rights. Um, But we've also nationally, as an organization, taken on a lot more immigration work and in a more direct way, I think. And that's obviously a hot issue right now and something that really resonates with people. Yeah, we're going to come right back and talk more with Libby Screen of the ACLU of South Dakota, uh, policy director for the chapter here. And uh, You've got a new billboard campaign. We're going to talk about that. You've got a new uh, justice campaign. We're going to talk about that. And then we'll just wander into the world of civil rights, which is just something I enjoy doing. So it's my show. (laughs) This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. In the gray, nothing but a pick on the side. 417 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And we are chatting with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. And uh, the ACLU, as we've been talking about, has been uh, really uh, raising its profile in the state of South Dakota, including a couple things that are going on right now. And your billboard campaign uh, launched recently. Uh, What are they and what's the purpose of the billboards? Yes. So as part of our Smart Justice campaign, which is our campaign to encourage people to think about criminal justice issues in a different way than they have in the past um, and be aware of the upcoming elections and in particular the attorney general's race, we have decided to do a billboard campaign, which is something we've never done before. Um, Some of the billboards are specific to our Smart Justice work. The one that's up right now is a static physical billboard that says people, not prisons. Uh, And then we have some others that are scheduled to go up. And some of those are just simple reminders about today is the day to register to vote. Today is the day early voting begins. Today is election day. So it's sort of a combo smart justice, criminal justice and voting rights stuff. Get out the vote. You're doing a little uh, nonpartisan, non-issue based GOTV. Yes, yes. Voting is good. We like democracy. We we like (laughs) democracy. Um, And so the billboard There's one up in Sioux Falls, right? Yep, there's one up in Sioux Falls. Um, It is on Minnesota Avenue right across from the jail. Uh, And then we're also having some up in Rapid City, both, I think, static, which is the physical ones, and Mm -hmm. digital. And then the digital ones are going to go up uh, Monday in Sioux Falls as well. Uh, How many spots do you know? 20. Really? 20 spots total across the state with the static and the electronic? Yeah, wow. yeah, which is really exciting. And it's fun to be able to do them not just in Sioux Falls. You know, a lot of our energy is focused in Sioux Falls simply because that's where our office is. So to be able to kind of get out of the office more, both physically, we're heading to Rapid City next week and, uh, you know, in image via billboards. Um, the prisons here. 
though. And this is where um, uh, most people get incarcerated. So if you are uh, going to do a criminal justice campaign, that's probably makes some sense. But you're trying to appeal to voters and policymakers. And how does a billboard campaign fit into that? I think what's different about the billboard campaign is that in the past we have focused a lot on either direct contact with people like decision makers and then also speaking to our members and our supporters and then people who already follow our work and are interested in this work. And sort of the theory behind putting up a billboard is to inject these issues more so into the public conversation and to bring our name and our perspective to people who maybe haven't heard with us or think that they don't agree with us and just ask people to think a little bit more. And so let's talk about the campaign a little bit because um, you've been gearing up for this for a while. Um, what what are tell us first of all just tell us about the campaign what is it yeah so the smart justice campaign and our theory of smart justice is a way of addressing criminal justice issues that actually solve the problems of crime rather than relying on simply locking people up right so we want to really encourage the public and decision makers to think about and address the profound connections of crime to things like mental health addiction employment education and housing Um, And one of the specific focuses of that campaign, aside from our overall message of smart justice, is to educate people about the attorney general's office and the role that the attorney general plays. You know, that it's not just they are, of course, an attorney and the government lawyer, but they also have a lot of role, a lot of roles that they play in the legislature and through law enforcement, both directly in authority and in influence. Um, So as part of that campaign, we're educating people about what the attorney general does. We're also connecting with attorney general candidates themselves. We've sent out a questionnaire to both of the major AG campaigns right now. We should reintroduce those people to uh, the listeners. If they don't know, it's uh, Randy Seiler, who's a Democrat, a former U.S. attorney and U.S. assistant U.S. attorney. I should say he was acting U.S. attorney, I believe. And then um, uh, Jason Roundsburg, who is an assistant uh, a state's attorney in Union County, uh, but it's involved with Republican politics for a long time. Yep, absolutely. So yeah. we have sent questionnaires to both of their campaigns. We've set a deadline of getting those back by tomorrow afternoon. Uh, we have received one of those questionnaires back from one of the candidates, and we're hoping to get the answers from the other candidate as well so we can inform voters on where they stand on the issues. You have no indication that that other person isn't going. We won't even say because if they both do it, it's great. Exactly. But, they're going to do it, though, right? You got to do that. I hope so. I hope so. We would very much appreciate if they would. Um, like, what sorts of questions are you asking them? So, some of them are really general. Um, things like, what would your top three priorities be as the attorney general? Um, how would you define success, both as the attorney general and for the people in your office? Some are a little more specific. Things like, where do you stand on criminal justice reforms that the state has made in 2013 and 2015? And if you disagree with those laws or would like to see some changes made, what specifically would you want to see changed? Um, also questions about how they feel about alternatives to incarceration, whether pre-diversion, right, excuse me, pre-arrest diversion programs or existing programs like drug courts and veterans courts. Um, Obviously, drug courts have become a pretty big deal here. I mean, it started with uh, the 24-7 program for DUI, but it's expanded into some of these other things. You're generally supportive of these courts, are you not? Yeah, we are. Um, I think that they are a great option, and I think they should be a part of the alternatives to incarceration. 
Um, but I would also encourage us to look at pre-arrest diversion that can be made too. What so does that, that mean? So that means getting people the help they need instead of incarcerating them and charging them with a crime. So if you've got someone perhaps who is displaying um, some mental illness and they seem you know, in a threat to someone else or of harming themselves and it's clear that there is a mental illness at play, rather than arresting them and charging them with a crime, diverting them out and getting them the help they need. So they're never entering the system. Whereas with uh, drug courts... These are people who have been um, charged with a crime, who have probably pled guilty to a crime, and instead of going to prison, they are getting treatment um, and and trying to get on the right track. But they still will have a criminal record. All this is under the notion, really, that nothing good, I should say, good things rarely happen in prison. Yes, yes. Um, And it also goes back, I think, to the theory of incarceration. You know, why are we locking people up? Because if our goal is to get people on the right path and reintegrate them back in society, we know that incarcerating someone for any period of time, but especially for a longer period of time, years, uh, makes it a lot harder for a person to become a productive member of the community. So if we're talking about people who are not a threat to public safety, we're really – we're not doing the thing that's going to lead to them becoming productive. This notion of uh, pre-arrest diversion um, is very much part of what the uh, certainly Sheriff Milstead and a lot of the other authorities are talking about in, in terms of the triage system that they're – how much are you paying attention to that, working with them, and – what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's something that um, we're definitely paying attention to. You know, I, I don't think, as far as I know, nothing is set in stone and it's not a guarantee that the triage center is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think that that could be a program that would be fantastic both for this community and a model for the rest of South Dakota. So I'm really hopeful that the county commission in Minnehaha decides to move forward with it um, and will actually do the work that it takes to get it up and running and on the ground. We're going to come back after the news and weather here with Mr. Dan Peters and uh, chat more with Libby Screen with the ACLU of South Dakota. We got, you know, we're focusing very much on the specific here. And when Libby's here, we need to get big sky. All right. We need to go. We need to go big time, uh, philosophical, why we do what we do and why we are afraid. So it. You can't miss that. you got to stick around. So we'll be right back after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 433 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And uh, Libby Screen from the ACLU of South Dakota is here, and we've been going through, let's see, we hit the billboard campaign you've got going. Uh, your uh, criminal justice awareness campaign that you've got going. Um, you know, you brought up earlier the uh, uh, the criminal justice reform packages that went through, was it 2013? What were those years? Uh, 2013 was the adult reforms, yep. and then 2015 was the juvenile reforms. From your perspective, and those were big bills, mm-hmm. but there's now been some pushback mm-hmm. uh, against those reforms. From the ACLU's perspective, was that the right thing to do And are there changes that need to be done to make it more effective? I think that both of those pieces of legislation were the right thing to do. And, you know, even though we didn't necessarily agree with every single piece of them, um, I think it's really commendable that we recognized as a state that we have these issues and we have to do something to fix them. Um, I think they were a good first step. But The issues being we were just putting people in prison. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. For a long time. Our prisons were getting 
you know, we were putting people away for a long time. Our prisons were getting full. Um, so the idea was, I think, to slow that down a little bit and also invest in some things that might have better long-term outcomes, uh, getting people who are incarcerated the treatment they need, et cetera. Um, you know, and I think it's made an improvement on our system, but we are still, from our perspective, locking up way too many people. One thing that we're looking at uh, is the women's prison in Pier, which the Capital Journal actually did an article uh, I think it was earlier this week, and mm-hmm. they were talking about how the women's prison um, currently has a record number of inmates, mm-hmm. which is up from 50% from a decade ago and more than triple what it was 20 years ago. Wow. And you know, women's incarceration is something we're really interested in, the idea of why we're seeing so many women incarcerated. And I don't have the answer to that. I it, would like to know not, why. Is it not, though, uh, primarily drug-related? Yes. And a higher percentage of women are in prison for drug-related crimes than men. Absolutely, um, and a significant high, a significantly higher amount. So we know that about 75% of the women in our women's prison are there for nonviolent offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a total, the women's population in the women's prison, about 64% are there for drug crimes. Um, I don't have the actual statistics in front of me, but I think the men's prison is something like 30 to 25% mm-hmm. are there for drug crimes. So we know that we are locking up a lot of women for drug-related crimes, um, and I'm not really sure what the why is. You know, yeah. why is that happening? I don't believe it's because women use drugs more than men. Just for some reason, that's what we're locking women up for. And is it possible, and I don't mean to speculate, but is it possible, too, that men, um, that their crimes, that they may commit the more uh, serious felony crime uh, out of a drug situation, and that's what they end up getting prosecuted for, and that some of the other things get dropped, and the women who may be involved tend not to do the violent part of it, like assault or robbery or, you know, um, um, using weapons of whatever type, but they are associated with the crime because they are associated with the drug use. Is that partly true? I I think that's probably partly true. Um, You know, someone who might be in a relationship and and if the boyfriend is dealing the drugs and doing whatever, and if the woman is going along for the ride and Mm -hmm. is there around the drugs and using the drugs, I think that, yeah, that's probably um, something that's happening. Not to gender stereotype our our various drug dealing and drug users, (laughs) right? I mean, that's not... I don't want to be unfair. Um, so that's that's a big part of what you're looking at. The women's prison thing is interesting to me because it's in peer. Uh, we don't see it. Yeah. You know, most of us, I don't even know where it is in peer. Mm-hmm. Is it a large facility? Um, right now they hold about... 564 inmates, mm, which I think is pretty darn close to capacity. Um, so if we don't change the trends and we keep doing what we're doing, we might be looking down the barrel of building either an addition or a brand new women's prison. Um, and we talked a little bit about the uh, attorney general's race mm-hmm. earlier. And one of the things that uh, Mr. Roundsburg has brought up is a building a drug prison, West River. Uh, this would seem not to really fit with your goals Yes, I think um, I think that is correct. And I, I will also say that one of the things we are really interested in and haven't really figured out is what exactly a meth prison is. Um, you know, I've read in interviews that he has said that it's based off of something in Wyoming. Um, I can't figure out what that is. You know, I talked to some of my colleagues right. in Wyoming and they are unaware of a specific uh, meth prison or what have you. Um, so I, I, I don't based on what I know about it, which isn't a lot. I don't think that it's the best idea for us. Uh, if it was a big treatment facility, maybe, but I, I really doubt that's what Mr. Roundsburg has in mind. And if at some point we'll have him on the show and we'll ask him. I would um, love to hear that. Yes. And I'm sure more details about that will come out. Um, 
but the the notion of drug crimes, right? Um, we have, and sometimes I think that we as a nation are maturing in the way we think about drug crime, right? Or drug use, I should say. Not, I mean, there's crimes associated with drugs that are crimes. Mm-hmm. There are, uh, we have felony ingestion. We have some of these very harsh uh, drug use crimes. In terms of your uh, perspective, is there any sense of uh, any any energy behind wanting to change that? I think so. I think that especially in the past, I don't know, 10 to 5 years, we've really seen things start to change. Um, obviously, several states have legalized marijuana, and I think that has gone really far in terms of shifting attitudes about marijuana and to some extent other drugs. Um, we know that discussions of decriminalization have been had in a lot of different jurisdictions. So I think we are starting to see a shift in public opinion. Um, I think it's happening a lot slowly, a lot more slowly than maybe I would hope. But yes, I think we're getting there. We're going to come right back and talk more with Libby Screen of the ACLU of South Dakota after a short break here. So you want to stay with us. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four forty-five on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO, and we are here with Libby Screen. She is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota. We've been hitting all kinds of topics. I promised you we'd go big. Here we go. Um, <laughs> what are we so afraid of, Libby? I mean, we've been talking about criminal justice reform, drug crimes, drug courts, uh, uh, meth prisons. Why are why are we so afraid of drugs? I don't know. I really don't. Um, you know, I think that for a long time we've really bought into the notion that drug users or people who, who are around drugs are the other, right? I think there's a lot of stigma about drug use, and I think there are a lot of people who walk amongst us every day who use drugs that nobody knows about because people don't talk about it. Um, we're afraid and we've bought into the the D.A.R.E. program vision of people who use drugs as bad or morally flawed and dangerous. And to be fair, there have there you know people have ruined their lives with substance abuse. Absolutely, that's that is not the question. Mm-hmm. The question is how do you deal with it? Yeah, and we have spent untold millions of dollars putting people in jail. And drug use hasn't gone down. Right. We are continuing to do the same thing over and over and expecting the outcome to be different. The uh, um, definition of insanity. Exactly, right? exactly. Exactly. And I and so your hope here is that somehow. But how do you. On the one hand, you know, you have all these examples of people who have done bad things mm-hmm. in desperate times who have been addicted mm-hmm. in one way or another. And you don't want those bad things to happen to other people, right? Right. We lock up the people uh, who scare us the most, Mm -hmm, essentially. mm -hmm. Um, But how do we we change perceptions of that from your standpoint? Because what you're asking people as the ACLU is to say, "What what, what are we doing that's wrong and how do we fix it? How do we keep people out of prison? But to do that, it's not, it's not a practical conversation it very much is a philosophical conversation how are you going to as an organization with your billboards change people's attitudes about 
drug use. I think the process of changing people's attitudes is a year's, decades-long project, right? What we're doing right now is really seeing a critical point in where we are as a state and as a society and trying our best to get that conversation started, right? Our smart justice campaign is not something that we can wrap up in six months or a year or probably even five years, but we have to start somewhere, and I think now is a really good time to do it. So we're hoping to get people to engage in these conversations, to think these issues through a little bit more, and maybe maybe check their knee-jerk reactions and their knee-jerk fears about what they think a drug user is or what they think an addict is. The first thing that people will say, as I think about it, you, so you want to keep people out of jail who don't necessarily need to be there. Mm-hmm. Violent people, people who are a legitimate threat to society, yeah, they're going to go to jail. Prison. Mm-hmm. The people who are uh, drug users at a small, at a, at a very, at the low level, keep them out of jail. But you don't just keep them out of jail. You also have to follow up on that. And the degree to which people think that costs a lot of money, how do you, what's your argument to them or your explanation to them that you have to spend this money on the backside or it's not going to work? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that's that's the crux of the issue, right? It does cost money to provide treatment to people. It does cost money to make sure addicts to prevent people from becoming addicts in the first place and to treat addiction once it's there. This, that's what's so hard and what's so politically challenging about the whole issue is that it's going to take an upfront investment to start see the savings we're going to see when we stop incarcerating so many people and when we reduce recidivism. And I think that's an issue that we have talked about a lot in our office about how as a politician from a practical standpoint, um, it's easy to say, I'm upset about drug crime and so I'm going to arrest more people. You say that and a year later, you show us how many people you've arrested, you show us your statistics, Mm -hmm. and boom, you've followed through on your campaign promise. Mm -hmm. I think what we need from our leaders is is a little bit more moral courage and a determination to do the right thing and to be able to bring these issues to people and explain why we need to make these changes and these investments now. Um, And, you know, if I were running for office, I would probably be a little afraid of that, right? Because it's hard to make the case to the voters that the thing we're doing is important and good, but you might not see results for three years or five years or 10 years. Um, But if we want our country and and our state to be in a better place than it is now, if we want to stop incarcerating people at a level which basically no other country does, um, we have to start making hard choices and we have to start thinking through why we're doing the things we're doing. You're asking a politician to ask voters to take a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And that has not often been successful right? for, it, po- for the politician in terms of getting elected. Absolutely. And that's I think that's what's scary for, for politicians. And that's why sometimes we hear, um, you know, what a legislator and not anyone in specific, but just generally, you might know where a person stands on an issue and then they cast a vote a different way or they or they take a political um, act different than we would necessarily like. So I think what's so critical about the public education piece and about bringing this to voters is getting them educated and making sure they are telling politicians through their votes and through communication that I want you to take these hard choices. I want you to do these things and I am here to support you if you're going to do that. And I think we're actually starting to see that in places across the country and I'm hope we can bring that here. That's the big circle, right? Mm-hmm. You got to you got to got to stop the self-fulfilling prophecy and 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 begin this sort of the holistic approach. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I just doomed you with a sort of granola e word there. That's all right. All right. 
Um, and how does that play then uh, to bring this back home now? Uh, we're building a $48 million addition to the jail. The ACLU came out in opposing an opt-out to pay for that jail, which they did not opt out of the tax caps to pay for it, but they're still going ahead. Um, what's your message to the county here? I mean, they didn't take your advice. Right. So we didn't necessarily oppose the opt-out. All we did was, hey, we're sending you this letter to encourage you to think about why you need to make big investments in things like the triage center um, mm-hmm. so that we don't have to keep opting out. I think thinking about self-fulfilling prophecies, if we expand the jail and when we expand the jail, we'll have a lot more beds. But if we keep incarcerating at the rate that we have been, that's going to be full soon too. You know, so I think, again, it's it's asking them to think about where we can have savings down the line and how we can actually make our community safer and better. I mean, in theory, at least in, in my most idealistic state, I would like to hope that people run for office because they want to make their communities better. Um, and it's the actual action of making them better that's hard. Uh, and I want politicians to know that there's a roadmap for it and there's a way to get there. Um, it's possible. And we're here to advise you. Yeah. You know, I've never I don't think I've ever met somebody running for office. And I have interviewed and met dozens and dozens of people who are running for local and, and state state office. I don't, I don't remember any of them who wanted to do the wrong thing, right? They all want to make their community better. It's just a matter how we get there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's why we bring everybody together in peer, which that, so then it goes sketch right from there. No? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so my friends in peer, I, I like peer. I'm, that's not true. Uh, <laughs> Libby Screen, she is the policy director for the ACLU of South Dakota, and uh, we like having Libby on. We're going to have her on a regular basis. Is that right? Absolutely. I love talking about civil rights and civil liberties. So do I. It's fun. Uh, Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about uh, the rest of the week, which there isn't going to be a rest of the week for me, so there you have it. You're going to want to hear the details on that. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Four fifty-seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. Coming up a week from this Saturday, the eighteenth of August. It's the big Downtown River Fest. Four to eleven on the Downtown River Greenway, between Eighth and Sixth Streets, Sharapa Place, and the Raven Industries parking lots. Live music on two stages. Kids activities, food trucks, cold drinks, retail vendors, canoe rides, live art, and a fireworks finale. Woo! Get all the details at the events calendar at KSO.com. That and other information on what's going on in the world. So here's the deal, people. No show tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no show Monday. Uh, sorry about that, too. And then we'll be back on Tuesday. Tuesday with a, uh, a bunch of shows. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Got them babies all booked up. It's going to be fun, fun, fun. Join us every day here. Three to five. Well, weekdays, weekdays with me and Dan. So you guys have a good long weekend. Get rested up and we'll be back on Tuesday. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. KSOO.